Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of CISO Talk. I'm obviously traveling. I'm not in my normal studio. I'm not in the bunker. I know, but thanks so much for tuning in. This is what I'm liking, what I call our micro segment of CISO Talk. It's a conversation with practitioners who are not CISOs, but bring a lot of value to us as uh, Chief Information Security Officer. So I've got a, got a great show coming today. The next 15 to 20 minutes are going to be well, well spent. We're going to talk about a lot of really cool things, and I've got an awesome guest coming. So please make sure to subscribe. Make sure to follow our page. If you're watching us on YouTube, please subscribe and turn on the notifications. That way, you know, every time we put out new videos, I do the practitioner brief daily, Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern. You can tune into that. We talk about risk, impact, and mitigation of the latest cyber threats to your organizations and vulnerabilities. You'll want to tune into that. But without further ado, why keep talking about the show when the best way to get you to subscribe is to listen to the awesome content I'm about to bring your way. So here we go. Joining me in just a minute, Mark Loveless, Senior Security Researcher over with my great friends over at GitLab. So here we go, folks. It's CISO Talk time. From the CyberHub Bunker in Studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales. No bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Every time I hear the, my theme song with the beat in the background, I just start dancing. Like if people could see what happens backstage, Mark, they'd be like, James, you should stop <laughs> it. You don't have the dance moves to pull it off. Well, uh, I didn't get to see it, and I'll just take your word for it that it was. Yeah, awesome, that's the beauty awesome of streaming. Either one, yeah, right. Like that's the beauty of this. I can see everyone, but no one can see me. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. I love it. It's awesome. Mark mm-hmm. Loveless, senior security researcher over at GitLab. Thank you for joining me today. Um, You're welcome. James. Give our audience a quick recap of a little bit of uh, what you've done, your career in security. Uh, well, my career started uh, ages ago. I think I got my first real technical job in maybe 1990. And this was coming from a, I, I would say, almost a strict hacker background. And then kind of coming up through the ranks. Uh, uh, I've worked at very large companies. I've worked at very small companies, including startups uh, and probably the more interesting places I've worked besides GitLab. My previous employer was Duo Security, 
um, which was, uh, that was a fun job. And uh, before that, I worked at MITRE. At, but easily for the past uh, 20 years, I've been doing research at a number of different companies. And uh, it, it's just, you know, with, with the hacker background and then, you know, you know, into privacy and security and all that, it's just been, uh, I still to this day cannot believe I get paid to do what I, what I do. It's just, it's like play, constant play. So you know, but that's how you know you you know you know you're doing what you love when you can't believe that you're doing it every morning when you get up to do it. <laughs> I get excited about getting right. up for work. That's uh, still to this day. It's just like, oh boy, I'm going to be working on you know whatever project that maybe someone else would have just absolutely hated, <laughs> but to me, it's just like, oh, this is wonderful. Yeah. So yeah, I. I, I absolutely love that. I love that passion, man. That passion is so addictive, right? Like it's mm -hmm. just, it's, it's in there. Yeah. So you were part of a panel at RSA, virtual RSA, mm -hmm. which was a very, very interesting one because you guys were talking a little bit about uh, threat actor burner phones, automation, hardware, uh, kind of a little bit about how threat actors actually behave in their own little natural environments. What's, mm -hmm. what was kind of the synopsis of this conversation at RSA and why this specific topic? Well, talking about burner phones, the original idea behind that is because the old traditional burner phone thing was, you know, where you see it in the movies, they talk and then they say, oh, my phone number's burned. And then they break their flip phone in half and toss each half into <laughs> you know, the back of trucks heading in opposite ways. And yeah, and that's the, you know, the Hollywood version of it. But in this day and age, uh, no one wants to have a burner phone that's going to not allow them onto the internet. They don't want just voice and uh, text. They want to be able to get onto the internet and do all that stuff. And that does leave a digital footprint and so the whole idea behind the burner phone is like, well, how do I eliminate that digital footprint? Can I eliminate that digital footprint? Assign a different digital footprint to that, to a completely separate phone. It's, it's not 100%. Okay, you can't not be tracked by, your, by any phone as long as it has power because it's got the modern ones have five radios, four that transmit. So it's going to be tracked. So the whole half of it is ends up being OPSEC to, uh, to get around with that. Now, it has potential uses for both good and bad, obviously. Uh, and that was kind of the fun thing for me to explore the concept of this, uh, was how far can I go to you know, with this project to see what can, uh, what can actually, what is still being tracked, what is not being tracked and et cetera, and then start relating it to different scenarios, you know, and you can easily relate it to a number of different scenarios, including uh, potential uh, threat actors. So you bring up uh, a great point, which is kind of the idea of how do you relate digital footprint from threat actors who are predominantly, uh, I want to say, 
a lot of people call them hiding in the shadows, but I say, you know, you've not spent enough time with your security research team to understand that these guys are actually out in the wild. They're, they're amongst us. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. When, oh, yeah, when, definitely. I mean, uh, a lot of these, <laughs> uh, a, a lot of these things are not, you know, uh, um, the, the traditional. And I think today that that's pretty much been quashed right outside of Hollywood, maybe where they still believe that, you know, a threat actor sits in mom's basement, wears a hoodie and boxers and tries to do that today. These are really well-coordinated organizations that, that operate a specific way. Are you seeing this digital footprint, this burner phone digital footprint, really increase over time? Or has it kind of, is it almost similar to one-time use? Because getting a smartphone that goes on the internet as a burner phone is, is, is one not only expensive, but if I'm in, I don't know, let's say, for example, Sofia, Bulgaria, and I keep buying smartphones and I keep using them amongst a specific part of the grid, I mean, after all, that's not really a burner phone because the digital footprint becomes how I find you, right? If you're specifically using your phone for a specific set of actions, then I'm not looking for a number. I'm looking for a specific set of actions. Is that not the case? Oh, that is the case. And that was part of the challenge of trying to figure out, is there a way where I could do this? Now, I did it on the premise of, let's say that I'm a, um, a, a privacy advocate. And uh-huh. I, let's say I'm, or I'm doing um, uh, human rights, uh, I'm a human rights worker and it's an oppressive government that I'm going into that country and I'm doing some stuff, even for, you know, an organization like, I don't know, maybe the UN or, or whoever, but you're going in there, humanitarian thing, possibly repressive government, who's doing that exact same thing you're talking about. They're going to be trying to track this person and see who they're talking to and, and, and all this other kind of stuff. How is it possible to eliminate uh, that footprint? And so the whole thing was, well, you can't, uh, but you can at least thwart uh, to a certain extent. And so then it's just like, okay, how can I thwart this? And it's just like, well, I could leave a, I could just make sure that the footprint that I'm leaving does not get tied back to me, for example, which isn't great, but it's, you know, theoretically, uh, theoretically possible. And you end up having to create almost two identities. But like you said, you know, if you're, you've got all these, you know, if you're purchasing phones and you're in the same area and everything, anything that becomes a pattern can be noticed and tracked and whatnot. And that's the thing. Um, I remember I was part of a task force and we were investigating a group out of Eastern Europe. And their pattern was that the person who was buying their burners or the person who was in charge of their technology replacement went to the same place and bought from the same person everything. Meaning that, you know, it's like, you know, it, it, it's like calling from the same payphone outside of an airport. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's still a pattern. And that in itself is a is a, actually a footprint. And and that's that's the thing. It just you you run into that. um online doing investigations into, um, uh, say, intrusions, either attempts uh-huh. or successes, you see the same thing. You see the same types of patterns. Sometimes they're a little harder to spot. That's the fun thing is finding those. As a researcher, I love that kind of stuff. Finding the patterns that are harder to spot and then 
really looking at those and they're and they are there they are they are there uh it's just uh you know figuring them out and tracking them down it's how good of a puzzle maker are you right it's how good are you in putting all the pieces together yeah exactly exactly so 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 to me that's the most inter- interesting thing by the way i love my security researchers as a CISO. and i think i told you this before we got started mm-hmm. and i'll tell you this again on air and i may have said it on air i don't know right being the time difference in israel i'm all whoop, i'm all loopy at this point but <laughs> um one of the things i've learned is the more time I spend with my security researchers, the better I understand what controls I need to put in place and mm-hmm. how I need to approach my security program far more effectively than I would by, let's say, a pure red team exercise, which is still great. But a red team exercise is typically done within a different set of parameters than a security researcher is able to bring to me, right? Mm-hmm. The way my red team does stuff and the way a threat actor does things are sometimes two very, very different things. Yes. Yes. That is, that, that does happen on occasion. Yeah. So yeah, let's, let, let's talk a little bit and, and, and about what I consider to be the talk of RSA this year, right? We had started off with solar winds, then went into colonial and it almost seems like threat actors are getting a little bit more brazen with some of these attacks is that a pattern you're seeing in the work you're doing? And if so, what, what's the attribution to it? How, brazen is a way. We know that nation states are brazen, but threat actors are, are, are increasingly brazen as well. I, I, the thing is, is it, it, there's a part of it that's brazen. I think a part of it is a part of it is a testament to the fact that we're doing, we're, we're getting better at the basics. Okay. So if I'm a threat, if I'm a threat actor and I'm trying to break into some, some government, uh, let's say a government contractor that builds, I don't know, weapons or something, uh, and supplies them to the, to the government. Uh, I can try the, you know, the uh, spear phishing stuff that was real popular a decade ago uh, and, you know, just get really good at that. But then all of a sudden now my, uh, you know, as a threat actor, all of a sudden that, that target is they're starting to not open those emails like they used to because they got educated. There's better technology to detect that stuff. And so they start looking for different ways in and, uh, so for, you know, even like five years ago, it was somewhat popular to say, oh, I'll become friends with a whole bunch of, uh, uh, friends on say LinkedIn and I'm targeting people that are friends of my target. And then, so all of a sudden when I approach, you know, Hey, I want to connect with you on LinkedIn, the, uh, target of my, uh, linking is, uh, it says, oh, I've got all these mutual friends. I must know this person. Next thing you know, I'm like, say, hey, how are you doing? Hey, I'm thinking about applying for a job in this type of thing. You're you're a total expert in the industry, and I'm going to, you know, butter you up. So you're going to look at my resume. Whammo. Zero day in the resume. System is compromised. That was, to me, a, an interesting step forward. But all of a sudden, you know, the tactics kept changing. To me, some of these uh, these supply chain attacks, while they were not unheard of uh, a decade ago, 
they did happen. It's just the fact that they're going after uh, a different avenue to get in. And it's risky because once they get in and it's discovered, it doesn't just affect one, two, three companies. It affects dozens, if not in some cases, hundreds of companies. Uh, that, I think, amplifies it to make it look brazen. From the attacker's standpoint, they still are getting to their targets. But, and even then, once they're in, they try to, you know, they do their, you know, move laterally and switch their back doors and, and all the stuff that they would normally do once inside a, a, a target and, and go after it that way. But it's just, yeah, the way in, they're having to be more, as you say, brazen, take these bigger risks just to get a foothold on the target. So I, I, I don't know if you, would you qualify that as brazen or, or I would, I'll tell yeah. you why I think that threat actors would have not gone after colonial pipeline if they weren't brazen. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And uh, I think I, they overplayed their hand. They, yeah, they may have, they may have, they may have in that. That was, well, and that was the thing. It's just like, you know, going after a target like that was, uh, I, it's just, you're, you're playing with a piece of infrastructure. I mean, the, it could, it's only going to get worse. What happens when they hit a, you know, a chemical company and all or of an a sudden, electrical grid. Yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah, it's, you know, they, if they hit something like that, all of a sudden you could conceivably have serious, serious consequences that would occur yeah. with that. You know that that's a that's a, a, a almost a preclusion war. In some cases, you take down an electric grid of of you know, let's say you took down the Northeast's grid, and now you know everything from New York all the way out to the Canadian border didn't have electricity. Um, you, that, that's a declaration of war. Um, I don't know that you'd look at it any other way. I don't care if it's a basic threat actor sitting in you know uh, some 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 country somewhere. Uh, you know, to remind people that 9-11 happened by a bunch of threat actors who were hiding out in a bunch of countries. And we declared war on those countries and went then with the full force of the military. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that would not surprise me. But, you, you know, I, I would say that's brazen. I'll tell you why, too, uh, Mark. Um, using the human aspect and targeting a new set of group of people, right? So when you think of like, you know, you're, you're a veteran in our industry, so I don't mm -hmm. need to tell you this, but when we looked at spear phishing early on, right, mm -hmm. I was spear phishing the secretary of the CEO or the personal assistant, um, the uh, executive administrator for an organization. Today, I don't need to do that. Today, I'm going to target the basic DevOps guy in a company through LinkedIn, as you said. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're going to be friends. We're going to share documents on LinkedIn, right? Uh -huh. We're going to exchange emails and I'm going to get his personal email, not his work email. So I can hit him in the machine on his personal, on his personal device. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... that to me is beyond my scope as a CISO to secure. Oh yes. It gets weird. I mean, the thing is as a researcher, because I've been, uh, I'm public about it. Uh, that I'm a researcher. I've had, um, and this probably had to do with the fact that when I worked at Miter, uh, they ended up collect. They were trying to collect personal emails 
descent fishing stuff as well. I, to this day, I still get uh, on my home systems. I'm still seeing uh, uh, nation state uh, actors uh, coming after me. Now, I'm not. Un- I'm not saying that I'm a special, you know, person. That it's just I happen to be one of those types of people that's on that list where they say, "Okay, you know, let's, you know, we're sending out our round of phishing emails again." you know, or, or whatever it is, you know, let's, uh, let's include him on the list again. Uh, and, uh, so I think my last one was maybe three months ago. So it, it it's, it still happens. I, I got one a month ago and it said, you've been nominated to be the, uh, you've been nominated on a list of one of the top CISOs in the U S and I was like, no, I have it. I know I have it. <laughs> Yeah, they'll, so, play, they'll play to ego. They'll play to ego. They they'll play, play to ego anything. very often. They'll play to anything they can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mark, I appreciate you coming on and taking time out of your busy schedule uh, with your very serious CISO, Jonathan Hunt, who's probably one of the industry <laughs> best. We should fish him with Jonathan. You've been nominated to be one of the top CISOs and see if he we, we should do that. We should definitely, we should do, definitely that. do that before we air the episode. Before we so air that- the episode. <laughs> <laughs> or we should exactly. do it after we are the episode and see if you listen to the very end of the show. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. If you didn't get to the end, then then know. and he falls for it, then then we know you know he he gave it a you know a, a quick listen and was like, Mark and James are boring, but it's definitely far more interesting. Why aren't I on the show? And we'll have <laughs> uh, Jonathan Hunt, who's the sister over at GetLab, is probably one of the youngest and sharpest people I know. And I'm not saying that because I like him. I'm saying it because uh, professionally, he's one of the smartest people I've had the pleasure of interacting with every single time. And so, Mark, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And um, Jonathan is lucky to have you, man. Uh, Oh, it really is. It's like I said, it is so much fun working here, you know, uh, getting to that whole DevSecOps. And I get to work on the sec, you know, putting the sec part in. Hopefully to the point where it's just all DevOps again, you know. Sec or hopefully where it's DevSecOps and it's natural DevSecOps. There's no more DevOps. DevOps is now DevSecOps. Completely. Either way. DSO. Either way. Either yeah, way. DSO. <laughs> Either way. I, I, I'm a firm believer in DSO, just so you know. I mean, not, not to go on a tangent, but I'm a firm believer that I never want to go back to DevOps. I don't think even my DevOps guys want to go back to DevOps. Mm-hmm. Because they're writing better code, they're performing better, they're mm-hmm. getting less bugs, their accuracy rate is shot sky, it goes sky high. Mm-hmm. And once you get through, like, you know, it's kind of like teaching a baby, um, um, it's teaching a toddler how to go to the potty, right? Getting him off the diaper. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a bunch of accidents along the way, but once they get it, they're like, oh, this is great. I'm, you know, this is awesome. I like this toilet. I like you. Once you get yeah. DevOps guys to to get out of their way and, and understand how DevSecOps works within their IDEs and you implement the right tools and you build the right project management system, uh, they don't want to go back. They don't. No, they don't. And that's, and that's uh, part of what makes my job fun is it's becoming... I don't, I don't want to say easier, but but maybe it is easier, becoming easier to get these concepts uh, introduced into a company uh, that's doing that's doing development. I mean, our whole company yeah. is all about we're, we live and breathe development because we're selling development tools and just 
you know, so just through just dog fooding security into our product has just been, uh, it's just, it, that's why we're able to make a, do a release every month. Yeah. You guys are, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I mean, you guys do, do unbelievable work over at GitLab and, yeah. and, and, and I'm a big fan. So um, I appreciate it. Folks, Mark Loveless. Uh, Mark, how can people connect with you? Uh, well, let's see. There's uh, M Loveless. You know, GitLab.com slash M Loveless is one. Uh, I'm uh, uh, at Simple Nomad on Twitter. Uh, and then uh, MarkLoveless.net is my uh, personal website. I can, you can check that out. I got a blog that I have up there. Nice post on the uh, burner phone thing if you want the details. Brilliant. I appreciate it. Folks, that's it for uh, this special CISO Talk mini micro segment here on Burner Phones by Threat Actors and so much more with Mark Loveless of GitLab. He's a senior security researcher over there. You can go connect with him on all his social media, LinkedIn. You can go to Twitter, a.k.a. um, the online toilet wall at the club, or you can find him at his email at GitLab or on uh, his website, which was uh, mloveless.net. Marklovelace.net. Marklovelace.net. Mark with a K for those listening. Mm -hmm. Mark with a K for those listening. And you can read up all about his blog, which I found very interesting. So, Mark, I appreciate it. That's it for us here, folks. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to tune in. Another great segment coming through, as well as our normal CISO Talk episodes, which you don't want to miss. Until then, folks, have a great rest of your day. Cheers and stay cyber safe. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.